we're going to be talking about uh, doubt. You know, we all have one thing in common. On some level or another, we've all experienced doubt. If you're a student in school, there's times you looked at your teacher and you, you doubted, right? You're like, I don't, I don't think you should give that much homework, right? You doubted. I don't think we can be ready for that test by Friday. We've all, we've all had those moments where we doubted our parents, doubted our kids, doubted our boss. And, and if we're honest, every one of us on some level has doubted God. Every person at some point has had doubts about God. Now, in church, you're not supposed to say that because we're supposed to have faith all the time, right? We're supposed to be perfect and you know, never, never have a weakness or a moment or a question. But there's seasons in our life where we look at God and, and even if we don't say it, we think it. Really? Really, you're just going to let this happen? You're not going to stop it? You're not going to do anything? You're just going to let this carry on? And this is what we're going to talk about in this series. In the next few weeks, I'd love for you to come back and join us for this series. We're going to talk about what do you do when you doubt God's goodness? Is God really good? What do, you, what do you do when you wonder, does God even care? Does he even know what I'm going through? What do you do when you doubt God's trustworthiness? Can I really trust God with the personal and private areas of my life? Maybe, maybe you're like most of us and you've had doubts about your own spiritual strength. And you say, you know, maybe you're a guy here and you say, you know, my wife is the spiritual one. She's strong, but I, I could never be like that. Or, or maybe you've looked at some person that you see that's really a good person or they're strong and you say, I could, never, I could never live up to that. I could never be like that. What do you do when you doubt God's ability to make you the person he wants you to be? Well, either way, we all have doubts at some point in our faith. And today we're going to talk about how do you have faith in a storm. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> I planned this sermon three weeks ago when I had never heard of Irma. And here we are today in a divine appointment on a collision course with the Holy Spirit because we're going to talk about what do you do and how do you have faith in the middle of a storm. We have Harvey, we have Irma, we have Jose. We got some storms. We've got earthquakes, we've got fires out in the west, probably other things I've never even heard of. Everybody has faith when things are going good. Anybody can have courage and confidence when everything's going great. But what about, what about when you don't know how things are going to turn out, you start to doubt? I got a phone call yesterday from a buddy of mine who I went to college with who pastors in Tampa. And he said, hey, have you seen the change in Hurricane Irma? I said, what do you mean? He goes, it shifted and the eye wall is coming directly over us. And I said, oh man, I'm... I'm so sorry, and I, I want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. My wife and I lived on the coast, some coast or another, for 15 years. We've evacuated. We've boarded our house up. We, we survived and rebuilt four and a half years in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane Katrina hit two miles. The, the ocean was two miles from our church. It was one mile from our house. So I understand the anxiety that he feels, and he knew I went through that and just called me and said, hey, Tell me, they're hunkered down in their church building today. They cancel services. They have about 50 people staying on their property to weather the storm out together. They've gathered supplies, and they're waiting for it to pass over today. 
And he said, just tell me what it was like the first few days after Katrina. What can I expect? What's going to happen? And I'm also aware today that we have people here in this room this morning who've evacuated from uh, Hurricane Irma, and you've come up, and somehow you found your way into this service. I don't think that's an accident. And I just want to say, I feel your anxiety. I know what it feels like. I've been through it. I understand it. And I want to say we welcome you today, and I think God's got something for you today. This is an accident, right? Too many coincidences going on. So maybe today you're one of those people who are saying, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. How, how many of you um, grew up eating bologna? Oh, oh God, well, real more than I thought. You know, we, we grew up like lower, low, we didn't have, you know, them sophisticated meats like carved turkey and ham. We had bologna and potted meat and a little fried spam, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, nothing like some fried, sp charred spam, man, that'll, that'll hurt you, won't it? Well, I can remember when I was about 12, I was at my uncle's house in New Orleans, and we were about to leave later that day, and since we didn't have a lot of ham at our house, because we didn't, you know, splurge on the good meat, they had a lot of ham, and it was so good, and, and we didn't have chocolate milk, every now and then we'd get that powder, you'd mix it up, you didn't have the pre-made kind, that was, you know, high dollar, and they happened to have both. And, and I, you know, I was just 12, and I just didn't know when I would have ham and chocolate milk again, so I decided to indulge. <laughs> and I can't tell you which one had a problem, but one of them, something was wrong with it. <laughs> or either you shouldn't eat that much together at the same time. I don't know which. But I can tell you, coming across the Lake Pontchartrain Bridge, how many of you have ever been on the Lake Pontchartrain Bridge? Do you know how long it is? Eternity. It is eternal. It never ends. And I'm telling you, we came through, or at least in my body, there was this violent storm going on. I was sweating, and I was pale, and my lips were white, and I, I was like, welcome to hell. This is the beginning of eternity for you. Have you ever been in a place so bad that you started making deals with God? You ever been in that spot? You're like, Jesus, name your price. Now, I will be a missionary in the bottom of a volcanic mountain. You name your price, I will go deliver my soul from this moment, and I will do anything you say. I was making deals with God because I was in a bad place, and there's nowhere to pull over on an eternal bridge. You just go, it's seasickness. And I got ham and chocolate milk fighting each other. It's not good. And who knows what bacteria... And I can just tell you, I will never tell you the rest of the story because it is not made for public. But it was one of those experiences I didn't know I was going to make it through. You know what I mean? Like I thought I was going to die. And as funny as that is, there are some of you here this morning, if you're just honest, you're in some kind of situation where you're not exactly sure if you're going to make it through or if you make it through, you don't know what kind of condition you're going to be in when it's over. And so maybe for some of you, you know, maybe you're single and your singleness has turned into kind of a storm. And if you meet one more person who tells you you just need to be content, you think you're going to go postal on somebody. And it's not that you're single, it's that you're lonely. For some of you, it's not that you're single, it's that you're married. <laughs> That's the storm. 
You, you, you've, you've embraced a full Category 5 hurricane, and it's called your marriage. And you're hanging on by a thread, and maybe you're in a storm today in your finances. Maybe, maybe it's one of your children. You don't know if they're going to make it. Maybe you don't know if your job's going to make it. Maybe you have a high level of fear, anxiety, where some of you that have evacuated here wondering what's going to happen to our life when we get back. You just don't know. But I've got something I want to leave with you today. I really don't have a lot of points. I just have a thought, and I want to, I want to give it to you, and we're just going to talk about it today. Here's the thought. The one who is in you is greater than what you're going through. Right? The one who is in you is greater than what you're going to. Now, here's what I want to tell you right now. I can't promise you that when you leave today, your circumstances are going to change. But maybe God's not trying to change your circumstances. Maybe God's trying to change you. The one who is in you is greater than what you're going through. Now, I also have to say this. That's only true if you're a Christian. It's only true if you follow Jesus. It's only true if you have Jesus in your heart. If you're not a Christian, I want to first say how incredibly glad I am that you're here. I remember a time in my own life, I went to church for months as a person who wasn't a Christian. And I remember how you know, awkward that was sometimes. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know the music that other people seemed to know and were singing. I know what it feels like to sing strange songs or to just stand and look at the front and really not know what to do. I remember the feelings of not understanding everything I heard. I also know we have people in this room this morning who maybe, maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you're just far away from God, but you come here regularly or frequently. And, and I just want to say this from the very, very, very beginning. Kingwood Church is a place that you are safe to come no matter what your faith is. So I want you to know how glad I am and our churches that you are here. Kingwood, I want you to give a great big welcome to all those who don't have it figured out yet. We're glad you're here. We're super glad you're here. Now, second thing I want to say is this statement of the one who's in you is greater what you're going through. It isn't true for you if you're not a Christian because the only thing you have living inside of you is you. And that's not enough to get you through the storm. You might survive, but what will your relationships look like when it's over? What will your soul look like? What will your emotions look like? What will your mind look like? What will your habits and addictions maybe look like when it's over? That's why I just came to tell you today, that's why I think everybody needs a relationship with Jesus. Because we can't avoid all the storms. Now, for those of you who have Jesus living inside you and you're in a storm, I want you to try to understand today that the one who's in you is greater than what you're going through. So when Jesus lived on earth, some of his followers were caught in a storm. And they had some trouble getting through it. And I just want to tell that story this morning and, and look at how it might be relevant to us today. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, this is the beginning of it. Immediately, Jesus made, he made, he didn't ask, 
He made the disciples get into the boat, listen to this, and go ahead of him to the other side. This isn't going to turn out the way you think while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus didn't ask the disciples. He made them get in a boat. He made them leave. It's implied that Jesus was going to join up with them and meet them later. Now look, here's the question. Jesus knows everything. If Jesus knows everything, did Jesus know when he made them get in the boat and travel out into the open water that he was sending them off into a storm? Did he know it? Yes or no? Yes. Everywhere Jesus leads us will not be trouble-free. There's this ridiculous, idiotic thinking in Christian culture sometimes that says, if you accept Jesus into your life, nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. Nothing's ever going to go wrong. Your kids will always make straight A's. Your dog will always be healthy. You'll advance in your career. You'll be happy every day of your life. And I'm just telling you, that's not true. We have a name for that. It's called heaven. And this isn't it. And this isn't going to be it. If it were, what would be the point of heaven? This isn't heaven, and it's not going to be heaven. And as a follower of Jesus, I think it's just okay for us to say, you know what, some days just downright stink. They're not good, and they're not going to be good. They just downright stink. How can we conclude that, that life is always going to be easy if the person that we follow died on a cross? It wasn't always easy for him. There are going to be days it's going to be tough to follow Jesus, but at the end of it all, if he is in us, he's greater than anything the world can throw at us. So let's look at the story, verse 23. After he had dismissed them, so they're off in the boat, He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Now, here's the thing. He put the disciples in a boat to sail into a storm. Does Jesus join them? No. Where's he at? He's up on a mountain at a retreat, having a retreat alone by himself praying. Now, I'm just telling you, if I'm there in that moment because I'm kind of skeptical, I'm throwing a penalty flag. (laughs) Time out. We're going to the storm, and you're going to the mountain to pray where there's no storm. That's kind of the equivalent of Congress passing laws that don't apply to them. You say, hang on just a second here, Jesus. (laughs) Why do you send me up the storm if you're not coming with me? Look at verse 24. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Like, too far to come back. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Here's the translation. These guys are in the middle of a storm, and Jesus decides to go backpacking up on the mountain and pray. Let Let me ask you a question. Don't you love people more when they do what you want them to do? Be honest. Right, right, right. How many of you have children? We're just going to test this. Just be honest. Just be honest. Don't you love your kids more when they do what you tell them? Yes, look at this sweet little angel. Why the little angel? Because they did what you said. Right? Oh, they've been so good. Look at little John. They've been so good all day. Incredible. I just love you so much. Why? Because you did what I said. Right? How many of you are married? Uh-oh. <laughs> Don't ra- do not raise your hand. <laughs> but how many of you secretly love your spouse more when they do what you want? <laughs> Come on. Do not raise your hand. I warned you. Now, let's go a step further. How many of you love God more when he does what you want? Right? When God 
answers your prayer exactly the way that you wanted him to, only quicker than you thought he would. Boy, it's easy to love God then, isn't it? But, but, but what happens when everything's going wrong? What, what happens to us? God, where are you? Where'd you go? Why don't you do something? Please do anything. I don't even know if God is real. Why am I even going through all this? But when God supernaturally answers our prayer exactly like we want him to, or even better, oh, we get up early that morning, we're showered, we got praise and worship music going on. Come on, Jesus. We're going to church, our kids, it's the sun's shining, the sky's more blue. We're happy. We're on the front row. We're clapping. We're even reading the info guide. We're looking at the video announcements. We're reaching out, trying to hug everybody. I mean, it's like the life of the party, the music starts, and we start waving our hands. Come on, Jesus. It's like our team's winning. And God is so good. I just love him. Why? He did what I wanted him to do. Isn't he good? We don't doubt God's power or his love or his presence, but let us go through a storm. And we start to doubt, don't we? Storms usually cause us to doubt God. There are some people here this morning in the middle of a storm, and if you're totally honest, if you're totally honest, you say, I don't even know what you're talking about because I don't even know where God is. I can't seem to find him. He must be on a mountain praying or something because I can't see any evidence he's doing anything in my life. I've been there. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, so he let him sit out there all night. <laughs> it's a translation. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. They said, and they cried out in fear. Here's the thing. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't there. Watch this. It was that he showed up in a way they didn't expect. So when I was uh, 16 years old, I felt that God wanted me to be a pastor. And it was a, it's a long story. It's very dramatic, the way it happened. And so I, I learned that I needed to go off to college and prepare. And no one in my family had ever gone to college. So it was very different. And I didn't know how much it costed. I just knew that that's what God wanted me to do. So I thought, I'll do that. So I, I started saving money. I worked a lot of jobs. And our, our family was lower, lower middle income. And I tried to follow all the rules that everybody said to follow. Work hard. Your parents work hard. Do what you can do. You know, if you have a financial hardship, you know, that's where, that's where the government can come in and subsidize and help every, everybody out. And so you just do your part. And so I got ready to go to college. And look, I had worked so hard. Let me tell you what the government told me when I made application for student aid. They told me, your parents qualify, but you made too much money to qualify. In high school? I mean, I worked hard, but come on. I worked a lot of, I worked three jobs when I got out of high school. And they said, you made too much money. I'm a kid. <laughs> I'm trying to follow the rules and do all this right. Give me a break. At the same time, I had a buddy who lived four blocks down, and he got a, a full, full scholarship, financial hardship scholarship to uh, one, uh, University of Memphis at the time. And, um, and it made me so mad because the guy was a goof off and his family made more money than our family made. And it, and it frustrated me. His mom, he, they were single, his mom made more money by herself than my parents made together. 
And he got a full scholarship, and it, it just frustrated me. And, I could, and so I had to delay going to school for a whole year because I had to stay home and work those three jobs and raise more money because I couldn't get help from anywhere else. And I can remember, I don't know why, but that just stuck in my spirit. I can remember being at college, being frustrated about that. Like, God, what am I going to do? I worked my way all the way through college. I worked three jobs before I went. I stayed home for an extra year, all that stuff. I got a little bitty small loan that you know I had to pay back over 10 years. And, and here's the thing, though. I can remember one day God just speaking to my heart and, and saying this to me. Why do you care how I provide for you? Why does it matter to you if I use the government to provide for you or if I use another means? What difference does it make to you? I'm the provider. And that year, my parents combined made more money than they'd ever made in their life, and they were able to help me more than any of us thought that they would. All those years that they had worked. And here's what I know. It's not that Jesus isn't in your situation. It's just that sometimes he shows up in ways you don't think he's going to. It doesn't look the way that you thought it was going to look. So I just want to encourage you. Don't miss Jesus because he's not showing up the way that you think he should. You can't fit Jesus in a system. You can't fit him in your box. He shows up in ways we don't expect. So when they see him, they're terrified. Why? Because they don't recognize him. So verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. It's me. It's me. Don't be afraid. This is somebody else. So here's what I learned. Jesus always speaks during a storm. The storms of life are not our opportunity to talk to God. They are God's opportunity to talk to us. So if you're in a storm today, the best thing you can do is listen. Because God has some things to say. It just might not sound the way you thought it would. There have been seasons in my life when everything was going so good. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I'm not in a storm. There's been times in my life that things were going so good, if I'm honest with you, I didn't even really think I needed God that much. And I bet you, if you're honest, most of us have had that feeling at some point or another. But let me tell you what storms do. Storms remind you of the truth. And that is that you and I need God more than we think we do. You, you, next time you go on a plane, I want you to ask a flight attendant. Just, just ask them. When you go through your pre-flight speech, who's listening? I can tell you who's not listening. Me. I'm playing with the magazines. I'm on my phone before they shut the Wi-Fi off. I'm goofing off. I'm making fun of the steward. You know, whatever. Whatever comes to mind. But I'll tell you what I'm not doing is I'm not listening to all this. If the plane were to go down, a mask and find a flotation device and pull out. I'm not listening to all that. It just bye, bye, bye. It almost sounds like the um, disclaimer you get on a, on a drug commercial at the end. Blah, 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 and all that. Listen to none of that. However, you let the oxygen mask fall out of the ceiling. <laughs> and I guarantee you I'd be the first one going, what did she say? What, what, what was that? How, 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 what? Time out, time out, time out. I wasn't ready. Could you go through that again? And I can tell you as a pastor, I've been in a lot of church services, and you can always tell who's in a crisis and who's comfortable by how they engage. The comfortable are laid back, stretched out, yawning. Hey, pastor, tell me something new. I've heard that before, and they evaluate the service like a new restaurant. Ah, it's okay, but I, you know, I've heard better sermons. I, I, I didn't really like the music, but I did like that one song. I didn't think that video was really appropriate for church service. I, I didn't like the, what that lady on stage was wearing, but I do like the new coffee flavor in the cafe. 
And it's all about, I'm so comfortable, come on church, do something awesome to wow me. But when you're in a storm, <laughs> you sit up front, you get there early, you lock in, you engage, you take notes, you worship with all your heart, you listen intently, you listen to everything, you, you listen to the songs, you read the songs, you listen in conversation, you listen because you're trying to detect where is God trying to help me? Where is God at? What is he doing? And when, you, when you're in a crisis, when you're in a storm, you pray and you listen and you look and you search like somebody that's waiting for a crumb to drop off the table that you might eat. You're not critiquing what's around you. You need answers and you need them fast. You're not a consumer. You're a child looking for its father. And that's the difference. Now, let me give you this thought. You know your faith is growing when your engagement with God is not about what you're going through, it's about who God is. You know your faith is growing when your engagement with God is not about what you're going through, whether how good it is or how bad it is, it's about who God is. He is God in the storm, and He's God in the calm, and He's God, and He's always worthy of the same engagement. So I want to say this to you today if you are in a storm. Don't miss an opportunity to touch God in a way that you probably wouldn't if you weren't in a storm. Don't waste the storm. I've been through some storms in my life, a lot of them, physical and otherwise, and I'm just telling you, don't waste the storm. God won't. Don't you do it either. Verse 28, Lord, listen to what the Apostle Peter saying. If it's you, I thought we already went over that. He said, it's me. What is he talking about, if it's you? I just said it was me. If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Is the Apostle Peter skeptical? One of the 12 disciples is a doubter. Because he already said, if it's you, now he said, all right. Verse 29, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. It, this is fascinating to me. Jesus only said one word to Peter in the middle of a storm. He just said, come. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus were to only say one word to you today in the middle of whatever it is you're going through, what would it be? Would it be forgive? Repent? Stop? Trust? Confess? Give? Go, what would be that one word? What is your word? Now, if you're going to give, a, you know, like an MVP to the disciples, you only got one that got out of the boat. This is the MVP, right? It's the Apostle Peter. Until verse 30. <laughs> but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. See, the storm is an opportunity to realize we can't make it through life by ourselves. People blow my mind. I blow my own mind sometimes because I and other people refuse to ask for help. Maybe you've heard the story of the, of the guy who was in a bad storm, and so he went uh, to get up on the top of the roof of his house because the water was rising, and it got to the edge of the roof, and he's praying, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And a guy in a boat came by, 
And he said, hey, jump in, I'll save you. He said, no, 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 no. The Lord's going to rescue me. And then some time went by and the water got up to his feet. And another boat came by and he said, hey, jump in and I'll save you. He said, no, no, no. The Lord's going to save me. And then some more time went by and the water got up to his neck. And a helicopter flew over with a ladder that had been unrolled so, just so he could reach up and get it. And the guy said, hey, grab the ladder, I'll save you. He said, no, 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 don't worry about it. The Lord's going to save me. And the water went over his head and he drowned, he died, he went to heaven. And he got up to the gates of heaven, he went to Jesus, he said, wait a minute, I prayed and I believed you and I trust you, I thought you were going to save me. He said, what are you talking about, I sent you two boats and a helicopter? What else can I do? See, what you've got to see is, God sometimes shows up in a way you don't expect. And he's waiting for you to reach out for the help that he's trying to give you. He wants to help you. And sometimes the storms of life are reminders that we can't make it through this by ourselves. Now, I'm sure when the Apostle Peter's walking on water, he's feeling pretty good about himself. He's probably got a John Travolta deal going, you know, like, I'm walking on water. You know, check this out. Aren't I cool? All the other disciples are slacks. But look at me. I'm out here walking on the wind and the waves, you know. But then he starts to sink, and what does he do? He cries out, Lord, save me. These are the words that maybe some of you here need this morning. You may say, my kids are driving me crazy, the marriage isn't working, the job isn't working, I feel like I'm alone, I feel like I'm by myself, I feel like I'm never going to get through this, Lord save me. Verse 31, how does Jesus answer that prayer? Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and called him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and saved him. Here's what I love about this story. The Apostle Peter's doubt didn't disqualify him from having a relationship with Jesus. He didn't say, you doubted, you're going to sink. He grabbed his hand and said, come here. Now let's talk about that. Why'd you doubt? What's going on? He didn't push him away. He pulled him closer. I just think it's good news today that when you have doubt, Jesus is going to pull you closer. He's not going to push you away. You don't have to feel condemned about the things that you feel. Have you ever... Um, been at a meal, and everybody's looking around, everything's ready, and then whoever the host is looks over at somebody and says, hey, so-and-so, will you pray for the meal? And you, you get this moan, and everybody goes, oh, no, not him. No, 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 no. No, 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 not him, not him. Because everybody in the room knows what's about to happen. This guy going to pray. You know what I mean? And, and, and you say, look, here's how I feel. I'll gladly pray with you. But when it's time to eat, we're going to eat. When it's time to pray, we're going to pray. And I just don't think you have to pray a long time before you eat. How many of you are glad that Jesus answers short prayers? All the apostle Peter had was, Lord, save me. That's all I got. And Jesus met him there in the middle of that prayer. Notice the storm's still going on, though. Only one thing has changed. Jesus had his hand. Nothing else had changed. Verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Here's what I think is really cool. The people in the boat had just experienced a storm that nearly took their life. And they had an experience with Jesus that they never forgot. But look what they didn't do. 
What they didn't do is fist bump and say, hey, good job. They didn't talk about how awesome each other were. They didn't say, hey, man, when you were going in, did you see how John did this and Luke did that? Did you see how we all worked together? This wasn't a celebration of teamwork. That's not what this was. What did they say? Those who were in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God. They weren't focused on their own effort or greatness. They were focused on the greatness of Jesus. And here's what I came to tell you today. The one who is in you is greater than what you're going through. So this morning, I want to ask the uh, worship team if you would go ahead and get in place. Because I want to end this service in a little bit different way this morning. The same God that helped them make it through this storm will help you make it through your storm. And today, rather than me coming here and saying, hey, pep up. You can do it. You're stronger than you think you are. Step up. Strengthen. Get ready. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Man, people have been through all kinds of stuff. You, you can make it. You can make it. You can make it. Rather than me coming today and, and highlighting your determination or highlighting your ability or your skill or your teamwork or what kind of response is going to come after this storm that's going to hit, rather than me saying, hey, let's focus on all that this morning, what I want to do this morning is just ask you to lift your eyes up in the middle of whatever you're going through and put your focus on the greatness of Jesus. Because he who is in you is greater than what you're going through. I'm not going to say today that your storm's going to go away. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm not convinced about the people who tell me they do know. I don't think anybody knows. In fact, it might get worse. But for the next few minutes... I want us to focus on the greatness of God. Now, we're going to sing a song, and you probably all have heard it, even if you don't know it real well. And if you want to sit and listen, you can sit and listen. If you want to stand and sing, you can stand and sing. If you want to sit and watch or stand and watch, you can do anything you want to do. It doesn't matter. All I'm asking you to do is as we sing this song, just lift your eyes up, and focus on the greatness of God because that's where your strength comes from. Focus on the greatness of God because greater is He that is in you